Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me once again, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and former Chelsea, West Ham and Benfica defender Scott Minto. Here's what's coming up. When you, when you look at the squad and as well as they played at the weekend, you look down at the bench and think, well, actually West Ham have got better options on their bench than, than Chelsea have. How are they justifying that, Spurs? You, you sell your best player, your number, you know, the, the guy that scores all the goals. So you're lacking there in terms of squad depth as well as squad quality. And then they're saying they're actually looking to get rid of more players. I do think it's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. We're talking about Chelsea two games into a season. United are two games into a season. They won one of them. All right, didn't deserve to win it, but they did win. Played okay for a half against Spurs and then lost away from home against a manager who's made a habit of not losing at home. Brighton are just so good at the moment. They, could, you know, And I, I feel a bit bad saying I don't think they will finish top four, but can they challenge? Absolutely. I just think the Europa League... Once the, the season kicks in, it's going to be a different and difficult thing to, to combine. All right, lads, everyone OK? Scott's back from Malaysia, which is good to see. Although I, I hear, Scott, that you rather rather innovatively decided to stay on English time the whole time you were there, which is quite, quite a brave thing to do, isn't it? Because that means that, what, at uh, 8 o'clock in the evening, as it would be, it was actually nearly 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Well, yeah, it's so, I mean, the good thing is, obviously, we had um, working on the games. We come out the studio and it's about three in the morning there already. So if I sort of stay up till about six, maybe even seven, that's six, that's 11 o'clock midnight England time. So it was only a five day trip. So I just thought by the time my, my body gets used to it, once I'm there, I'm coming back. So, yeah, just stay in England time. And actually, I'm OK. Enjoyed working with Adrian Durham on Wednesday night. Uh, I like the fact that uh, Scott, this is this is why Scott still remains a, a specimen of a man because he does this sort of prep before he goes on a trip. Whenever Crook goes on a trip, the first thing he does, no matter whether it's four o'clock in the morning, whether he's on English time or American time, is just walking to the nearest pub My nerve set, and get a pint before he gets on a plane. <laughs> that is his rule. It doesn't matter what time of day. Uh, it is nerve settler. Yeah. I'll tell you what I did do though, Sam, which I've never done before. I watched four films and an episode of Law and Order in one journey. Did you? And- yeah, and it would have been five films if I hadn't been talking to the lady alongside me. We were talking about kids. Um, what was the best film that you watched out of those four? Well, I'll tell you what, the really intro, they were all good. But one of the, the interesting one was um, The Founder about McDonald's. Uh, Ron ah, Croft. Ray Croft. Yeah, yeah so I, I found that very interesting. Michael Keaton, very good. Yes, as a uh, as a McDonald's University, a Hamburger University alumni, I could uh, I could go into that for a few hours, <laughs> but I won't uh, because we've got Chelsea Luton on Friday night and a whole host of Premier League fixtures to get our teeth into. Chelsea. We need to trust to, to, to create this relationship with, the, with, with us, with the team. Have a, enormous quality and talent. You want to be at the highest level. You want to aim for that, but I don't know if it's achievable. Is he the elite guy? Does he go past Guardiola? Not in my mind. Does he go past Klopp? Not in my mind. And Luton Town are back in the big time for the first time in 31 years. The poster boys for a recreation, a reformation, a rebuild of Luton. It finishes here at a bouncing Amex. Brighton 4, Luton 1. I feel like it's up to us, to me, to the lads, to prove that we're 
Premier League. Edge of the air, comes into the box and smashes it home and Luke Taylor in front. Chelsea versus Luton is live on Friday night. A tale of two teams shopping at very different ends of the high street. Chelsea getting their seemingly weekly shop at the Harrods Food Hall. Luton getting one big bargain shop for the whole summer at Iceland. Uh, with respect to Ryan Giles, though, he's probably a little bit more astute than anything Chelsea have done. Uh, how do Luton compete with Chelsea on Friday night, Scott? Well, look, I think it's going to be very difficult, isn't it? And it wasn't ideal that they didn't play. Uh, last week. I think they just want to try and get games under their belt. So it's not as if they're going to be fresh, uh, although of course they will be, but they're still not Premier League ready, I don't think. And I think what they've showed so far is they are there for the taking. And um, look, if I mean, if Chelsea don't win this one, then, then I think there will um, start to be some problems. But I, I've been quite impressed with Chelsea, I have to say so far, despite the results. But look, this is the home game at Stamford Bridge. How do they do it? They just try and frustrate Chelsea. They don't give away any silly mistakes. They don't give away silly goals, which is what they've done. But this is not the type of game that defines whether they stay up or not. We've talked about how we believe that they will go down. I think they will. It's an amazing story. Enjoy it and frustrate Chelsea as long as you possibly can. Um, so, I mean, there has been a lot made about how bad they were at the weekend or how bad they've been up until this point. I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think we're all pretty much of the view. Well, I was certainly of the view. I know Scott seems to be as well. But actually, they should have won the game on Sunday, but they didn't have a striker to put the ball in the back of the net. Is that a fair assessment? Has there been an overreaction to the way that Chelsea have started the season, Alex? Yeah, but I think it goes back to the way they finished last season as well. If you look at their results over the last 30-odd games, and it's, it's relegation form. But I think if you take the two opening games of this season in isolation. They were the better team against Liverpool, probably unlucky not to win that game. And they were certainly the better team uh, against West Ham. But as you say, got punished for not being clinical enough, made some bad errors, you know, when you look at the goals that they conceded. So I do think there's been signs of progress under Mauricio Pochettino, but this is a must win. <laughs> the, the morale amongst the Chelsea fans will be through the floor if they don't beat Luton at home. And, and maybe it's because I'm old, but I don't know why, but this game just conjures up memories for me of the FA Cup semi-final in 1994, the Kerry Dixon derby. <laughs> um, yeah, 1994, Kerry Dixon. Yeah, you know, Kerry Dixon's 62 now. He played for uh, both these two clubs. He won the Golden Boot, or he shared the Golden Boot in 1983-84. He was my childhood hero. Um, so that makes me feel very, very You old. mean I wasn't, Sam? I wasn't a child when you were a hero, mate. Well, you, you, <laughs> and, and, and Frank Sinclair was his hero from yeah, your Frank team. Yeah, Frank Sinclair Scott, was my hero. Reasons known only to Sam. <laughs> Frank Sinclair was my hero and he was a teammate of mine. And that's a different uh, issue. Spend any time with Frank Sinclair and you will understand everything. Is that not or is that not correct, Scott? <laughs> Absolutely spot on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, listen, it is a chance for Poch to get his first three points of the season, but we've mentioned the goals have been a problem. When we were talking on, on Monday, Crook talked a lot about um, Romelu Lukaku coming back into the squad. But as I mentioned during the podcast the other day, Scott, Poch has made it pretty clear that isn't an option. He said he's not wasting any time on it. He's training with the under-21s. Poch hasn't even spoken to him. There's no way back for this fella. But it is a £100 million problem. So what should they do with him? And why has it gone so wrong? Is this just a game of sort of chess, which is going to be sorted out by 11pm next Friday? Or is this going to be something that ends up hanging around Chelsea and Poch's neck over the course of the next year? No, I, I think it almost is a game of chicken, isn't it? I mean, it's unlike Poch to sort of, um, you know, how sort of inclusive he is to say, right, you're not even going to train with us. And on the face of it, I mean, look, people are saying Chelsea don't have a number nine. They do. Nicholas Jackson. I liked him. I thought his first half performance, especially along with Raheem Sterling, was nothing short of sensational. And I'm very wary of using the words Didier and Drogba because you'll need to be doing that for another four years to be compared to him. But it just reminded me of that. But what in terms of Lukaku, I, I don't get it. I, I don't know what's gone on behind the scenes. Chelsea need another striker. They need goals. I think it's unfair with Crookie talking about the Chelsea of last season. This is a completely different Chelsea now with a different manager. And we have to think about it in, in that sense. And the two performances so far, they've been the better side over the 90 minutes in both the games. But they've only got one point. So Lukaku is an issue. I think it will go down to the wire. I think it will be a question of, you know, who, who blinks first. I, I just wish you could get a fit Lukaku playing for Chelsea because that's what they're crying out for. 
Yeah, goal's certainly uh, the big problem for Chelsea. But if you look over the squad, I mean, look, look, Jackson is one of those players. You compare him to Drogba. I mean, he isn't Drogba. He's probably not going to be Drogba. He wears Drogba's old number. But um, ultimately, he is... Um, Drogba took a little bit of time to get into mm. his stride as well. You know, it took him a, maybe even sort of nearly a year to get to the point where he was scoring goals regularly. He actually went away for an injury and then came back and scored a goal against Arsenal off his shin and then ran into the crowd going, I'm back, I'm back, it's me, it's me. And then that was the day that it sort of all took off for him. Um, but And it may well take some time for Jackson to settle into the Premier League, but he's 21 years of age, so he's still incredibly raw. But you look back over the course of the year that the, the Todd Bowley, Clear Lake Capital, Begdag Agbali consortium has been in charge. And then look at the squad, map it out. I mean, I I went through the whole squad to have a look at where, where I thought Chelsea needed to improve. And it just sort of startled me, really, that it's, it's a squad that doesn't look anywhere near as good as the squad that won the Champions League. I mean, the goalkeeper is Rob Sanchez. There is no competition for him at this moment in time. Your back five or six central defenders are disassy. They've just bought in because of an injury to Fafana. Colwell, Thiago Silva, and I suppose when he's fit, Badia Shield, but he's not fit. Two youngsters, Chalabar and Humphreys. Chalabar probably end up moving on. Um, you're right back to Arise, James and Gusto. Gusto's 20 and has hardly played and, and Reese James is injured. Kukurea, who's definitely not worth the money they spent on him, and Ben Chilwell are your left backs. With Gallagher, injured Chukwueke, Uga Chukwu, Lavia, Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez as your central midfield players. I think they are all under the age of 22, which is quite amazing. Madueke, Anjurin, he doesn't get a look in, but he's 21. Mudrick, Sterling, Brozier, Jackson. That's it. That is it. That is the squad. It's 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 not very deep, is it? I mean, Alex, where did they spend all that money? Where did it go? That's the most alarming thing for me. When you, when you look at the squad, and as well as they played at the weekend, you look down at the bench and think, well, actually, West Ham have got better options on their bench than Chelsea have. And the, the striker situation is unlucky that Nkunku's got injured, but it's left them in a real hole because they're chasing that game against West Ham and they bring on a kid who was playing non-league football not that long ago. Now, brilliant opportunity for him and some of those other younger players, but you really feel like they should have more to show for their significant investment. Um, I Defensively, I made a claim that Thiago Silva still doesn't help the defence. I know that's ludicrous in a way, but he's experienced and, and he's a winner and he's 39. But... He, he, he stops Chelsea from being able to play for back four. They have to play for back three because he hasn't got the pace to push up to defend a high line and then get back again. Chelsea have kept only one clean sheet in 15 Premier League matches. Um, how do Luton pierce that defence this weekend, Scott? Are they going to do what they've done a lot of last season, which is send set pieces, long balls into the box and attack them? And can Chelsea repel that? They have to. Um, you know, I saw them give away a goal um, in the first game of the season and they're, and they're sort of almost trying to play out from the box, uh, out of the box. And they've just got to do what got them there in the first place, especially when they're going to Stamford Bridge as well. Look, it, it's Chelsea are vulnerable, especially if they concede the first goal. And while I'm trying to sort of say, look, it's a new era and, and you know, Cricket shouldn't compare to last season, the fans will remember last season. So if they go 1-0 down against Luton in this game, then then it, it will be a tough atmosphere. Absolutely. Long ball, set pieces, keep it really tight at the back, get used to even having 25% possession. Don't worry about that. And if it's as boring as heck, but you get to 0-0 at half time, then that's absolutely fantastic. So that's the only way that they can really do it, I'm afraid. Um, because if they let Chelsea just get the ball down and play and they try and go almost man-to-man, they, they are going to be picked off. Because this the performances have not been bad. The process is there, I can see from Pochettino. And I, I don't always like that word process because you don't get time for it. But I like what Poch has done in this short space of time. This should be the perfect game for Chelsea to kickstart the new era. Trust the process, people. Trust the process. Um, Russ, uh, Ross Barkley uh, used to play for Chelsea. He's now playing uh, for Luton Town. He could make his debut this weekend. Big chance to silence uh, his critics and his former club. Um, do you know when he scored his first goal for Everton 10 years ago, Luton were playing Southport in the National League. That is wow. how far they have come. What wow. a fairy tale 
it is. I'm sure we'll hear a lot of that in the build-up to the game, which is live on Talk Sport. Uh, we start at 7 o'clock on Friday night, kickoff at 8. Let's uh, get to the rest of the weekend's football now, starting Saturday lunchtime, as Spurs head to the south coast to take on Bournemouth. Goes to the far side. Touch for Sterling! Goal for Chelsea! Luton are coming back to the top flight for the first time since 1992. Perisic is in, pulls it back to Son, who drives it home. Gets to the byline, and Solanke turns it in. A minute gone, and Dominic Solanke scores again. Wambasaka into the centre, but that is arriving late, and he knocks it in. In front of the Stratford end. Aurier, right footed in towards the near post. Chris Wood does what Chris Wood does. Flying header. The Premier League, absolutely magnificent. It's front foot football from Post the Coglu. Uh, will it be too much for Bournemouth, who tested Liverpool until the red card for Alexis McAllister at the weekend? Uh, what, what do you think, Crook? Uh, I think if Tottenham play as well as they did in both their opening two games, I think it's a tough one um, for Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth at times against Liverpool uh, did play well, but this is another really tricky game in what's a difficult start, actually, for the new manager. Bournemouth's first couple of months of the season make pretty grim reading in terms of their opponents. Obviously, Madison unlikely to be fit after leaving that game against Manchester United wearing a protective um, cast on his legs, so that is uh, that is a bonus, I think, for Bournemouth because Madison already has become a very important player for Spurs. But I could still see it being a difficult afternoon live on Talk Sport for the home side. Um, Bournemouth um, praised by Jurgen Klopp. He said he was impressed by the way that Iriola set them up last weekend. I've been talking about this all summer about the fact that I think that they would actually be better as a team taking on someone who likes to dominate possession, which is what happened in the game against Liverpool. The problem was is that Liverpool weren't had a man sent off and they didn't really have a plan of how to deal with it because then they had more possession of the football and that was a bit of an issue for them. Um, so, so, so how do they approach this? Because Tottenham, I suppose, will want the ball, won't they? That's something that Ange Postacoglu has as one of his fundamentals. He wants them to play on the front foot in the opposition half. Could it play into Bournemouth's hands or is that being optimistic from a, from a Bournemouth point of view? I think this is going to be a really good game to watch. I think you've got two managers who want to play front foot, high press football. Um, and, and, you know, I watched out in Malaysia, I watched the first half of the, the Liverpool-Bournemouth game. First 20 minutes, Liverpool were all over the place and, and they couldn't handle Bournemouth's press. So it's going to be fascinating to see whether Spurs can. You know, they, they got back into it through moments of brilliance, really, rather than sort of good pattern of play and good team play. So... I think this is a really interesting game. I really do. And, and you know, Bournemouth, we know how Riola wants to play. We know how Postacoglu wants to play. I think Madison being out is a massive blow. I really think it's a massive blow. I think he's already become key to them in, into that sort of, um, you know, that number 10 position. So that levels things up a little bit. I'd still expect uh, Tottenham to nick it. But I think we're going to see a really exciting game of football. Um. Richarlison, talk to me about him. Why has he not been a success? I mean, you would have thought Harry Kane has left. He steps out of the shadows into the number nine position, scores a bucket full of goals like he does for Brazil. How does he score so many goals for Brazil but cannot hit a barn door with a banjo uh, for Tottenham Hotspur, Crook? Well, he's guaranteed to get a hat-trick this week because I've just taken him out of my fantasy team and stuck in Brian and Burmo. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's good news, I think, for Tottenham and for Richarlison. Palace. (laughs) he'll be disappointed um, with his start to the season because you say he's got the opportunity to be that main man he might keep it you know because the vibe I'm getting out of Tottenham is that their focus still in this last week of the window is on shifting players out trimming trimming the squad rather than looking for a Harry Kane replacement there's been talk of Lukaku in Italy in the last 24 hours I don't think that's going to happen don't think he fits into the way that Postacogli wants to play and I don't think they can afford his wages so if they don't get a number nine in, it's a lot of pressure for Richarlison. He's going to want to get that first goal of the season as soon as possible. I just, I, I, how are they justifying that Spurs? You, you sell your best player, your number, you know, the, the guy that scores all the goals. So you're lacking there in terms of squad depth as well as squad quality. And then they're saying they're actually looking to get rid of more players. 
well, they've got more than 30 senior professionals on their books is the problem. As Chelsea have found, when you chop and change managers with such regularity, what happens is you end up building up a stockpile of players who weren't want, who were signed by previous managers and not necessarily wanted by the new regime. So I think that's how they would justify it. Obviously, they, they have spent some money over the course of this transfer window and look to have spent it quite well so far. But I'm not saying they won't bring in a number nine. But I don't think it's guaranteed. Well, the other problem is is that what number lines number nines are available apart from Romelu Lukaku in world football at this moment in time. It's not like there is a long list of of out and out strikers that Premier League teams are trying to to acquire. If that was the case, Scott, as we know, Chelsea probably would have bought most of them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I just I just think look, I, I know we we. Chelsea was a perfect example of having a bloated squad and what that can mean. It's, it's really not good for team morale. But, you know, then you just say to those players, if you don't go, you're training with the kids for the rest of the season. It's as simple as that. I don't know if the PFA then get involved in it. I don't know what it is, but that's what I'd be saying. I'd say, look, we want you to go. We'll try and help you to find a club, but we need another player to come in to help us try and get to top four, top five. Because I'm telling you now, with all the teams we've seen so far to start the season, no one's outstanding apart from City. Okay. And, well, Brighton maybe, um, and and top four, top five is up for grabs, and Spurs are one of those sides. In which case, then I'll go back to something that I sort of threw at both of you maybe over the summer, which is: Does Daniel Levy actually hamper his club by trying to be such a hardball negotiator? The time it took for them to get the Harry Kane stuff sorted has that stopped them from being able to pursue other targets and build a squad or shape a squad in the way that Postecoglou wants. Not necessarily, because of the point you made, you know, about the lack of number nines that are out there. Would they have been part of the conversation for Rasmus Hoyland potentially? But I think he was always going to Manchester United. So I'm not looking at the market and thinking, well, I think the sold Harry Kane I think it was earlier, more about the shaping of the entire him. squad. We were talking about the whole of the squad, not you know, having players that they don't necessarily want. So because he's been focused so much on the on the Harry Kane deal, has he then not been able to negotiate the departures of? Let's give an example. Tangi and Dombele, someone they spent a huge amount of money on, mm. which as far as I understand is still on the books, right? Still earning a wage. Last year won the, the title in Serie A at Napoli. Where's he going to play his football next year? It doesn't look like it's going to be at Tottenham Hotspur, does it? No, but I'm not sure that's necessarily Daniel Levy's fault. And listen, I'm, I'm not I'm not defending Daniel Levy before Tottenham fans start atting us. But is he another one of your golf they, they buddies? Did... Just tell us if he is. Because like, you know, <laughs> it, it, if he is, Definitely we'd just like not. to know up front. It, he might be one of Simon Jordan's, but he's definitely not mine. But if, if you look at it, Tango and Dumble, as you say, cost a huge amount of money. He's been an absolute disaster of a signing. They're not going to get back anywhere near what they spent on him. They're, they're probably not going to get back any, anything because I think if he goes, it, it's likely to be a loan deal. But I'm not sure that Daniel Levy negotiating with Bayern over Harry Kane has had an impact on that. He's just a poor player who they paid over the odds for. Well, that's interesting because, again, then that blows out of the water another argument which is often had which is if you let a player leave on loan they do a good job somewhere else you may end up commanding a fee for them the fact is is this player did go out on loan last year did a very good job uh, for Napoli played well for them and they won the league yet still nobody wants him or is not going to be prepared to pay any money for him so it doesn't really happen with Premier League players that it works like that because they earn so much money in in the Premier League they just can't command that type of wage on the continent which is why, and we've had this discussion privately, I think the market will change over the course of the next few years because it's impossible now that players can command those huge, huge transfer fees and huge salaries anywhere else apart from at the very top clubs in the Premier League because of FFP, because of the fact that there is no market in Spain, there's no market in Italy for players to travel between clubs. It doesn't happen, not at the sort of prices that we're talking about. Look at the net spends of every single club in Spanish football, for example. Apart from, I think, about four, they're all net spend positive because they cannot afford, they, you know, there are restrictions in place to stop them from being able to overspend. They haven't got the money. So that's why I'm worried, concerned about the Chelsea philosophy of buying all this talent with the idea what we're going to do is we're going to sell it on for even greater profit later on. I'm not sure there's going to be a market for that in three or four years' time. No, well, I, I, there's, there's two things to that, and, and I kind of disagree with you in both of them, really. I understand what you're saying about the, the clubs outside of the big four of, of La Liga, um, you know, I worked on La Liga in four years and 
for four years and it was all about trying to just look after it, itself financially and it's right but the Premier League is the Premier League the Premier League does receive this amount of money what you've now got to do then the clubs have to decide is if we're going to put a play onto this big four five year contract um, and on a lot of money we've got to understand if it doesn't work we might have to pay them off yeah. now that, that that's the way that it's got to happen in terms of Chelsea although they're putting on six seven eight year contracts what I hear is the wages aren't overly high so the idea is if it doesn't actually work out, they're not that difficult to get rid of. That's what but I've the, heard. But, but the point is that that's okay. That's great if you're happy to pay them for six or seven or eight years, whatever it is. But if you want to sell that player, if your business model is actually to make them brilliant and then after four years sell them on, you're only going to be able to do that to who? Who who do you sell? Chelsea no, you, get you, a player. Can't, you can't do that. Yeah. Who, who do you sell it to? Real Madrid. There's only one club that you can sell it to. Barcelona aren't going to be able to buy a player for another five years, probably, because of their financial levers and the problems that they've had. So, so who are you selling these players to? There is no market for it. But but really, do, do, do you think Chelsea are buying potential first-team players in, in the process and then thinking of, we're going to sell on for another 30, 40 million profit? Yeah, no, they're, 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 I do think that. I can't think of well, any other reason why you would go and buy every single member of your squad under the age of 22. Because I think they're thinking in the way that a lot of American sports is you put these players on long-term contracts and actually they stay motivated for that time. But, uh, you know, the, the footballer here in Europe is is not quite like that. Seven, eight years, you can easily switch off for a couple of years and think, well, I've still got five years left on my contract. So mm. I don't agree with the mentality. I just think it's a different one between the American one and the European stroke British one. We got sidetracked all because of Tangi and Dombly there. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Jeremy is our producer today, and um, he is going to join us to read out the final bullet point that he's put on our running order uh, for this particular game. <laughs> Jeremy, could you please read it out for us, please, as a Leeds fan? Yes, Tyler Adams and his spaghetti hamstrings have arrived to Bournemouth from Leeds. Good business, yes or no? Is it good business? There you go. Um, just for, for future reference, Jeremy was the one who said he had spaghetti hamstrings. It wasn't Scott or Alex or I. Um, Scott, how, how uh, important is Tyler Adams going to be to Bournemouth's attempt to stay in the Premier League? Well, his hamstrings are going to go straight away, aren't they? And therefore, um, he's going to be on the subspitch. <laughs> I think um, they already have gone, yes. I think was the reference. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, look, you get him fit. He's not a bad player. He's not. Um, he can. I think he was one of the few players who, when he was in a lead shirt and fit, actually semi-justified wearing that shirt. But look, is he a very good player? No. Is he a top, top class player? No. I, I thought he had a decent World Cup. I like the way he came across um, off the field as well. And I think it's a decent signing for Bournemouth if they can get him fit. I'd, I'd look, you know, obviously Jeremy's having a bit of a laugh with that, but the point is made about the injury problems. There's no point in bringing players in if you, you can't actually play them. Uh, too true. OK, uh, let's turn our attention to Manchester United against Nottingham Forest. Are you ready for this, Crook? Are you ready? That's the big question. Are you ready for the start of the season? Are you ready to defend your club uh, to the hilt? Because Adrian Durham uh, went on a little bit of a crookie-style rant uh, in the middle of the ring. That's a crookie style rant. Crookie went on many Adrian Durham style rants and Adrian's brought <laughs> it back um, for the new season. Uh, he has uh, eviscerated uh, Eric Ten Hag uh, with his... I mean, listen, he basically asked questions, to be fair. He says he hasn't uh, improved Sancho. He hasn't improved Anthony. He's ruined Maguire's Manchester United career. He's disrespected De Gea, can't create an effective midfield, and he's set about ruining Mason Mount. Is Ten Hag actually any good? Was the question uh, that Adrian Durham um, asked. Crook then, very furious. Uh, he was texting in the group. Adrian, do you understand Manchester United? Adrian doesn't get this. Adrian doesn't get that. He was absolutely, you were revved up by that, weren't you? You, you took personal offence because, of course, you affectionately named Eric Ten Hag the little bored genius. Uh, will he get the job done at 3pm on Saturday live on TalkSport against Nottingham Forest? Well, he has to, um, because it's been a very underwhelming start to the season for United. Forest are dreadful away from home. So this is a, a big opportunity to right some of the wrongs from the first two games. I do think it's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. We're talking about Chelsea two games into a season. United are two games into a season. They won one of them. All right, didn't deserve to win it, but they did win. Played OK for a half against Spurs and then lost away from home against a manager who's made a habit of not losing at home. So I, I do think 
you know, we need we need to give Ten Hag time. I, I think he he earned credit what he did last season, getting United back in the top four, two cup finals, and he did improve players. Aaron Wambasaka for one, Luke Shaw, even De Gea actually um, played some of his best football in recent seasons. And it was a right decision from Ten Hag to, to, to bow out De Gea. So Adrian's wrong on that point. I take his point with Anthony. I've defended Anthony and I was hoping that his second season, he could really kick on, but he's not shown any evidence of that in the first two games. Sancho, has he got any better under Ten Hag? I'd say maybe marginally, certainly not got any worse. Um, but we're still to see the, the best version of Jaden Sancho. And, and Mason Mount has played two games for a new club and now he's injured. So... I think there's been a lot of knee-jerk reaction. I think Ten Hag will get it right. And then you look at the upheaval behind the scenes. The takeover nonsense continues. He's had the Mason Greenwood situation to deal with, which I do think, and maybe Scott can shoot me down, but I do think that would have impacted the dressing room. There would have been players in that dressing room worried about the possibility of Mason Greenwood being reintegrated. And I do think that's probably had an effect on United's first two games of the season. Possibly. Um, I think, look, these two met four times last season. Forrest didn't score a goal against them. Um, But I I wouldn't mind betting that they will at Old Trafford this weekend because of the form of Taiwo Wanyi in particular, who's done very, very well. And they've got that sort of strength and muscularity that Manchester United might struggle to deal with. How are Manchester United going to stop being so easy to play through, Scott? Because obviously they're in, going to be an enforced change. Mount's not going to be able to play this weekend, so they're going to have to play somebody else. I'm going to guess that that's going to be Scott McTominay. That probably stiffens them up in the middle of the park. But one of the issues for me has always been the wide areas. Why on earth are you playing? You can't play with Garnacho, Bruno Fernandes and Anthony. Three players that don't want to do any of the tough work that needs to be done to, to have a solid, compact unit when you lose the ball. Because at some point in the Premier League, you are going to get counter-attacked upon. No, I mean, look, you, you pretty much nailed it there. I think Scott McTominay coming in will will really solidify the, the midfield in there. And it is a shame with Mason Mount uh, because you, you you want him to have games and get used to that position. He, he, he's an excellent player um, and will be a success, I believe, for United. But you're right, you know, how can you have forward players who are not willing to, or not able to track back? And, you know, I want to give Anthony a chance as well, but it's not even as if he's doing anything going going forward. You know, he, he's one of these where the legs go really fast and you think he's fast and suddenly the fullback catches him up and he's always coming inside all the time. It's it's it, it, He has one trick, to, doesn't he? Which is basically yeah. go down the right-hand side, chop in on his left foot and try and bend it into the far corner. He's done that Absolutely. about three times and that's, that is about it. That's all we've seen so far. Unless he can go on the outside of the fullback and and have some variation in the game, no one's really going to be frightened of him because they know what's happening next. What you see with inverted wingers now is that that they're still happy to go on the outside and they're happy to cross with their wrong foot. He's not. He will always check back. And that's a big technical flaw for him. There's a lot of money spent on him. And I think there's a, and probably um, Ten Hag himself was the one who said, yeah, let's go for him. And let's go spend that amount of money. I want him. So there's pressure on him to make his success. And that's not doesn't breed well when someone's playing that poorly and you know that the manager is playing him because he almost feels he needs to justify his own decision. Going forward, um, not great. And defensively, I think with Tomine coming in will help a lot. But you know, against the better teams, they're they're not in a good place right now, United. They're really not. They're only two games in, but I'm telling you, they're a million miles from where they need to be. I thought that they would be up there challenging for the title this year because I thought Eric Ten Hag had been given the ability to strengthen the spine of the squad. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Anana obviously has done his job up until this point. But I, I do think that you can only label the start of the season at the, the door of the manager crook because ultimately, if you're selecting that group of players, not once but twice, you must have given them a technical and tactical plan as to how to approach these games. And either they haven't, they've completely not followed it, therefore he doesn't command the respect in the dressing room that he does in your household, where he still remains the little ball genius. Um, but it, or he, he hasn't sent them out with that tactical plan, in which case that's pretty negligent. Yeah, listen, I don't disagree. It's the first time that I think I've been able to question Ten Hag. I was shocked that he named the same team in the same system against Spurs, having been left so exposed Let's face it, against the Wolves team, we were going to be down there with the relegation strugglers. Maybe it was slightly better in the first half, though. So you should acknowledge that. I mean, you know, everyone says, oh, they were useless. They were useless in the second half. But in the first half, actually, 
they created opportunities and should have been well in front before they ended up conceded a goal against the rung of play. Yeah, and actually, I, I don't lay that all at the manager's door. I think there's been suggestions that maybe they've overtrained during pre-season. From what we'd told, their trip to America was very intensive. There wasn't much downtime. Mm. Um, maybe that was a mistake. But also, it underlied that soft underbelly that Manchester United still have away from home against the better teams in the league, that they're okay as long as they're in the match. But as soon as they fall behind, they wilt. And I think that is a real problem in terms of the character of the side. And maybe it does ask ask early questions about the choice of Bruno Fernandes as captain. But who else do you give the armband to? (laughs) Martinez is too hot-headed. Casemiro is going to get himself sent off. Luke Shaw, potentially, but there is a lack of leaders in this Manchester United cr- cr- team. Yeah, but, okay, but again, you know, with all due respect, and, and listen, I, I, as I've already mentioned, I would like to see them challenge for the title this year and expected them to do so. But you have to lay that, all of that, what you've just articulated, at the door of the manager. He signed Anthony. He has brought Garnacho into the team. He signed Casemiro. He signed Varane. He signed Anana. He signed Mount. All of the players, the spine of that team is now no longer, if you're questioning the character of it, it's no longer a hangover from the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer era. Yes, there are one or two players. That's always going to be the case in the team. But ultimately, this is Eric Ten Hag's team now. Yes and no. Um, I think if you sat down honestly with Eric Ten Hag, he'd have wanted to do this summer transfer window differently. He'd have wanted to sign Harry Kane instead of Rasmus Hoyland, but he couldn't. Uh, A, because Daniel Levy wouldn't sell to a Premier League rival and B, because United weren't willing to pay the wages. Ganacho's not ready yet to start games. I think that's pretty clear. But there's a lack of options. You know, the squad looks light in that area. He obviously doesn't have confidence in Sancho. Can you blame him? I've not got confidence in Jaden Sancho. He's, he's played well for United. You can count on one hand. But if that's the case, that then why did you United target pl- buying a goalkeeper for the amount of money that you did when you could have spent the money in a different area? Why did you buy Mason Mount if you actually what you really needed was not Mason Mount in the number eight position, but someone further up the pitch to influence your pro- productivity and creativity? I, I get your point on Mason Mount. And actually, it was suggested to me by a couple of people close to United that, that maybe that was a, a position that they were fairly well stocked in. But the, the goalkeeper, I think, is is the right call. You know, De Gea is not a modern goalkeeper. It's nearly the end of the transfer window. But if He's you're not balancing your if you're balancing your budget, but if you're balancing your budget and you're trying to you've only restricted in what you can spend, then you've got and you're responsible for building a squad that can challenge for the title. You have to fill the positions that you require, not the positions that you want. I'm not going to write him off after two games. We, we could have written him off no after one, two no, games no one, last no season. One's saying, they had no, no points saying on the board and they got battered 4 0 at Brentford. So no one's saying you should write let's, him off. Let's, let's see where we go. I've, just... I've not got any great issue with the players that he signed. You know, uh, all right, Anthony, yet yeah, <laughs> flattering to deceive. Hopefully, That's he'll one find issue. his way. That's one issue. There's no guarantees. Lissandra but everybody Marcinus else is signed. too hot headed. That's another issue. He's hot headed, but he's a good player. Okay. He's a good player. You weren't happy with him. Casemiro was excellent, were you? Casemiro was excellent last season. But he gets ten um, too much. You've said that. <laughs> Even the boy Malassia, when he's played, hasn't let United down. So I think overall, Ten Hag signings have been positive. They've improved okay. the squad. But no issues with them, even though you've already articulated several issues with them. Um, interesting that Nottingham Forest have signed uh, uh, Gonzalo Montiel from Sevilla. Uh, Sevilla. Sevilla. Uh, scoring uh, the winning penalty in the World Cup final. He scored in the Europa League final too. Um, he's a decent defender, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we saw Forrest's first game in a season, didn't we, where they, for 70 minutes at the Emirates, they literally just, they weren't really involved in the game. They just sat back and, and tried to, to keep it as tight as possible. But defensively, that's what they need. They've got someone of experience there, you know, World Cup winner. Um, how long will it take him to get used to the pace of the game? We'll have to wait and see on that one. It's not easy coming in. Talk about Daniel Levy earlier. And while, you know, they can be great businessmen and get the business deals, every week that you're getting a player in that the season's already started is another week that he's having to adjust, you know, uh, and, and it's difficult to hit the ground running. It really is. So, look, it's a good signing on paper. I hope he does well um, on the pitch as well. Uh, yeah, he's at right back, which means he'll probably take the place of Serge Aurier. Uh, so those of you that were expecting to uh, get uh, several penalties 
um, against Serge Aurier over the course of the season may well be disappointed uh, because uh, he looks like he'll no longer be in the starting eleven. They've got a lot of right-backs, though, haven't they? They've got Nico Williams, Serge Aurier, and now Gonzalo Montiel. I wonder if that's a position that they really needed to strengthen him. Well, clearly, the fact they were playing Serge there uh, may suggest that that is the case. Although I thought he You're did You're being harsh all there. Right. He did all right. He started the season well, Serge yeah. Aurier. He particularly attacking down that right-hand side against Sheffield United. He put in some really good crosses. Yeah. So, Well, yeah. he made the goal, didn't he? he, he his, it was his cross for Chris Wood's uh, was. glancing header. Uh, it which, was, uh, yeah. So. Secured all three points. Stop being nasty to everybody. Come on. I'm not being nasty. I'm just to be honest with you. I was just I just thought I'd wind you up a little bit to be honest with you. It was just yeah. it was it, it was just fun. It, it, it's actually my favorite thing that's happened this Thursday so far was you sitting there getting squeezed from all sides and trying desperately uh, to defend the honor of your darling LBG. Um are you, are you are you going up on on uh, on Saturday to watch Manchester United and Nottingham Forest? Are you you're going to be there? No, I'll be at Arsenal Fulham, working for TalkSport. Oh, right. okay. Do you know what, um, Sam? It's the first time I've seen Crookie really on the back foot and almost <laughs> squirming. You know, normally he's on the front foot, giving his opinion. Obviously, I watched your show with Perry. It was really good. And uh, he was very much on the front foot there. Look at him now. He's, he's, he's almost just sitting in the corner. Not quite sure. Can we move on now, please? Yeah, quick. I need to get my phone out. There's going to be another transfer story. I've got to go and deal with it. Quick. I've got to go on Jim White. Quick. Hurry up. Get this done. Um, okay. If you want to watch the uh, the, the show that uh, Scott is referring to, by the way, it's still available on YouTube. Uh, basically, it's uh, all about the fallouts of the weekend. There's some big debates on there as well. It's the Premier League All Access podcast, but it is uh, in visual form uh, from Sunday night, Monday morning. If you'd like to access it, go to YouTube, uh, search Premier League All Access from TalkSport, and you will find it. Okay, let's look at the rest of Saturday's games. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Everton have lost four of their last five home league matches. And although Wolves were picked off by Brighton and don't seem to be able to take any chances, eventually they're going to score. And more than likely, it's going to be here, Scott, isn't it? Listen, it, it, it's it's very early in the season. We, we must always caveat that. But these are two teams that, that, that will be down there. We talked about Luton and Sheffield United going to struggle massively. One spare place. I did say at the start of the season, Everton, boy, you know... They're in trouble. I'm telling you now, especially with Calvert Lewin being being out for a few weeks as well. You know what I saw at Villa Park was a team almost as if they'd been ground down for six months, and you know relegation form and the fans. I think now with it happening of the last couple of seasons, they're going to start turning early, and this is going to be the longest season for Everton ever if they carry on playing like that. And people talk about Sean Dyche and, oh, well, they'll be okay. And, you know, he'll be organised. He cannot legislate for some of those mistakes that happened at, at Villa Park. So I massively worry for, for Everton. And I think this is a great, wonderful opportunity for Gary O'Neill and Wolves. Yeah, um, Everton, I mean, seriously, don't look like they're ever going to score a goal again. Uh, Wolves will be in further trouble, though, Crook, if they lose Matthias Nunez uh, to Manchester City, which is a possibility. 
Yeah, it is a possibility. Um, I think in an ideal world, Wolves would want to keep him, but we know the financial situation is difficult. I think if they get a bid that matches their valuation, and I think that would be in excess of £60 million, then I think they would be tempted to cash in. And obviously it's difficult, as we saw with uh, Pakatar. He was desperate to join Manchester City when Pep Guardiola makes that call. It's very hard for a team lower down the food chain to, to keep that player. So let's see where it goes. As of Wednesday night, no formal bid had been made, but clearly there is some substance to this interest. Yeah, uh, back pages, a lot of the papers on Thursday morning running stories that he is definitely a target and will be the subject of a bid very shortly. Arsenal are the kings of London. They've won 10 derbies last season, another on Monday night against Crystal Palace. They weren't ruthless enough, but deserved their victory and are expected to swipe aside a toothless Fulham, Scott. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, but then again, we'll go back to that game against Nottingham Forest where they were so comfortable and then were very nervy at the end. And this this might well be one of those. But Fulham, I thought they were wonderful last season for, for two thirds of it. And then they fell away. And then obviously there was talk about the manager going, Mitrovic going, Mitrovic is gone now. That's a lot of goals that's gone. And he was very good for them for two seasons. So I definitely worry for Fulham in terms of this particular game. I don't worry for them for for the season. But if Arsenal are going to be one of those uh, title candidates, again, this is another game they quite simply have to win. Uh, Fulham denied the services of Tim Ream this weekend. That will hamper a defence that was ripped apart by Brentford and conceded 19 shots to Everton. The warning signs were there, Crook, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I came away from, uh, from that game against Brentford feeling quite worried from a Fulham perspective, mainly because of the, you know, the lack of goal threat with no Mitrovic. Ream will be a loss. He had such a good season, didn't he, in the Premier League last year. I think he can feel a bit hard done by uh, that second yellow card uh, because it probably wasn't a penalty, if we're being brutally honest. They've got Tossin on their books, but my understanding is that he's trying to push for a move away into the last year of his contract. Will they get a replacement for Mitrovic? The man they're targeting seems to be uh, Moise Ken, the former Everton striker, who didn't exactly pull up any trees in the Premier League last time around. So, yeah, difficult difficult start to the season and a difficult end to the window, potentially, for Fulham. Oh, I mean, no disrespect to Moise Ken and uh, good luck to him. Uh, but you do just sort of, sort of underscore the dearth of number nine talent that is around when when, when that's where we're going. Um, Raul Jimenez is not going to be the answer to Fulham's problems because he doesn't score as many goals as Mitrovic. And Mitrovic, you know, the bulk of the goals come through him. You need to find a way of scoring, uh, scoring, replacing those goals. It's not going to be an easy thing uh, to do. Uh, Declan Rice, I thought, was terrific on Monday night in the Arsenal midfield. I, I spoke to Mikel Arteta afterwards about the benefits of the deployment of Thomas Partey in that hybrid position. And, and this is what he said. He said he wanted that physicality that Thomas Partey brings in the central midfield position but he felt he could sacrifice a right back and build up with more players because they're going to have more of the ball. He didn't go into specific details about how they deal with the threat in behind that right back area, which he then vacates, which is what cost them against Nottingham Forest. But they dealt with it a little bit better against Palace. But I think against the big teams, they're going to have to think of something different, aren't they, Scott? Absolutely. You know, just in, that was just in my mind when you were playing against teams and they will 90% of the time have, you know, 60% possession, then you can afford to do that and you can overload in midfield and, and dominate even more. But as we saw against Forrest, as you said, that if someone's got pace, that can be a problem. Ben White quite simply has to shuffle across and read that situation. But against the real big teams like a City, like a Liverpool, can't afford to do that. You know, we've seen it even with Liverpool playing that hybrid position with Trent, that there's, they're still vulnerable in behind. So against the real top teams, he's going to have to play right back, but he's, he's got that in Tommy Yasu. He, he can play that or Ben White, you know, he, he can do that. Um, okay. Let's move on to Brighton against West Ham. Brighton, one of three teams uh, alongside Arsenal, Manchester City with a hundred percent record. Uh, Crook and I have been discussing the merits of them challenging for the top four. Um, Scott, before I ask Crook the next question, can you give me a yes or no answer? Can they challenge for the top four under Roberto De Zerbi? Yes, they can. But no, they won't finish top four. Okay, okay. It's just okay. This is interesting. You almost stuck to the one-word answer. That's good. <laughs> um, uh, Crook, Mohamed um, Kudas was at one stage, I think, on Brighton's radar, wasn't he? But he's now going to go to West Ham United. Is that true? 
Yeah, I think they'd agreed a, a club record fee with Ajax, but the player was stalling on agreeing personal terms. So I think the Zerbi in the end decided, well, if he's not that keen to come, we'll move on. Um, there was a suspicion, actually, that he, he, he might stall on signing for West Ham in case a, a Chelsea or an Arsenal came in for him. But it looks like it is close now, £38 million. And I'm told, actually, uh, they might use him as a centre-forward, uh, which is interesting because obviously they've lost uh, Skamaka. Antonio scored an excellent goal last weekend. Danny Ings has been in and out really since he signed. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do utilise him, particularly if Pakatar stays, which looks likely. Um, it's interesting to see what happens with West Ham United. David Moyes is a little bit spiky with you, wasn't he, after uh, Sunday's <laughs> game? Uh, you asked him about the future of Pakatar and he said, uh, well, you know more than me. Uh, obviously, he didn't do it in a gruff sort of gangster voice because he's from the east end of Glasgow. Um, but, um, yeah, he was uh, he was a little bit spiky there. He might be spiky after this one as well, Scott, because I envisage Brighton beating them, beating them quite well. Well, and, and they don't have a good record against Brighton. And I, I'm not always one for, for records, but Brighton, they're just so good at the moment. They go, you know, and I, I feel a bit bad saying I don't think they will finish top four, but can they challenge? Absolutely. I just think the Europa League, once the, the season kicks in, is going to be a different and difficult thing to, to combine. But at this moment in time, Brighton are one of the best teams in the Premier League and, and they're dominating. Absolutely. And West Ham have kept, I think, three clean sheets in their previous 20 games on their travels, which shows that they don't travel particularly uh, well. Let's move on to Sunday now, starting with a belter of a clash at St James's Park. OK, so Sunday sees Newcastle and Liverpool clash at 4.30. Difficult start to the season for Newcastle. Started with Villa, beat them. City narrowly lost to them. Now... Liverpool at home. But I wouldn't mind betting, Crook. They're quite happy about playing uh, Villa and, and Liverpool at their own gaff. They were thrilling in the game against Villa a week or so ago, uh, maybe 10 days ago now. Um, and actually, you know, if they'd probably taken the handbrake off, they might have got something from that Manchester City game. Yeah, it was interesting to see Bruno Guimaraes. Did you see that, that tweet that you put up and then deleted oh, it? Yeah, in he did. To... He wasn't happy, was he? Someone had a go at them. Yeah, and uh, he he was sort of suggesting they've got short memories. Look what we've done for this uh, for this town. We're back in the Champions League. He's got a I'll point, right. but I'm I'll not sure. I'm absolutely right. Yeah, but do you need to do it two games into a season? Um, no, you don't need to do it, but he's absolutely spot on. I mean, Newcastle fans should be pinching themselves as to what's happened over the last few years. And, and do you need I to think do they it on are. Twitter, though. Do you need to do it on Twitter, Scott? <laughs> it was a bit of an odd thing. No, you, well, you know... You know me and Twitter, Sam. I I, I don't sort of, uh, you know, read things on, on Twitter and, and neither should he. I don't think current players should anyway, but that's the subject for another day. Um, but 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 it, the principle is absolutely spot on. I mean, guys, whoever said that, I mean, come on, look where this club is. It's a fantastic club and now completely got, you know, the backing to go who knows where in the future. Eddie Howe's done a wonderful job. They've started the season with a, a fantastic win at home and they've lost to the best team in the world by a goal to nil. Really? It was in response to a tweet from NUFC360 who said, is it too early in the season to start focusing blame onto individual players? Was there an overreaction to the loss to Manchester City? Um, And then he said, is this serious? We're in the Champions League of football. We lost again. one uh, One of the Big, best teams in the world and we have a big win and lost one game supporting the best moments is easy short stupid memories you all have and then a sort of being <laughs> sick emoji uh, look at what we've done for this team uh, in a year and a half I mean he's got a point but I mean actually in all fairness, strong. Um, it's a bit of a strong response to a couple of questions really I mean I don't really get the idea of saying is it too early in the season to start focusing the blame on to individual players I mean I didn't really get that. Um, but yeah, that's probably just a, a badly typed tweet. Uh, but it does see maybe that there was an overarching narrative in and around Newcastle and certainly in and around the Newcastle support that has sort of sparked him into life in the first place. But it does sort of, sort of show a side of sensitivity in that squad. Look, there's, there's no way that he should be responding to, to that because, you know, then you're, these people are realising that actually he, he can be got at at any given time, another time. So I certainly wouldn't be responding to that. But he is right in what he's saying. And if, if there's enough of that going around, and we know how things can snowball as well, 
So you start talking about individual players and individual players get singled out if they're not playing well. That then can go on game after game after game and affect the whole squad. It can. So, I, I, I you know, respond to it, no. But um, let's, 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 let's realise where Newcastle are. It's an amazing place where okay. they are right now. So, so, so they're playing Liverpool this weekend. And let's be honest, if this was Liverpool last weekend, we probably would have said Newcastle are going to win this and quite handsomely too. But McAllister is going to play in this game, despite the fact that he was sent off last week because his band's been overturned. They're probably going to pick uh, Wataru Endo from the start, I would have thought, uh, bearing in mind that they need more balance in that midfield because it was far too gung-ho last week. We spoke about it. I looked at the average positions, actually, Crook. It wasn't really a 4-2-4. It was a 2-4-4. So, I mean, they're very front foot. They can't do that against this Newcastle side, can they? No, they get exposed. Um, and actually, I'm fairly confident in my prediction. I don't think Newcastle will lose. You know, I think St. James's Park has become a real fortress. I've started watching the documentary, actually, and you just realise how passionate and how important those home fans are. Obviously, this is an iconic Premier League fixture that conjures up so many memories from the past. And I think if, if Liverpool don't up their game on what we've seen so far, they were lucky to get a point at Chelsea. They weren't brilliant against Bournemouth. I think they're still a work in progress. They themselves are still trying to add between now and next Friday when the transfer window closes. I think Newcastle can can make it back-to-back home wins. What are the areas where Liverpool need to add then and what are they looking at? Because I think one of the stories of the, of the last week of the window is going to be Lukaku and where he ends up and Liverpool, whether they press go mm. on a couple of big deals. Yeah, I think still midfield. I mean, you mentioned Endo, but obviously he, I think, is... Uh, you know, he's not a youngster. I think that's a signing that Jurgen Klopp thought would improve the squad for a, a relatively modest sum. I'm not sure he's going to be a regular starter. Uh, he might prove me wrong. But we, we recorded a, a video actually for the TalkSport's YouTube channel looking at the possible midfield options that Liverpool have available, including Calvin Phillips potentially swapping Merseyside, sorry, swapping Manchester for Merseyside. So let, let's keep an eye on that one between now and the close of play next Friday. Yes, we mentioned that on uh, Sunday's show, didn't we, that it was a possibility. Mm. Uh, Luis Diaz has scored in back-to-back games for uh, Liverpool for the first time. He could be crucial this campaign for them, couldn't he, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a great finish, wasn't it? Flick and then strike under, under pressure. And I think Liverpool missed him big time last season. I think there were players who weren't playing well within the side, but they also missed someone like him because I think he did hit the ground running when he came to Anfield. Wonderful player, horrible player to play against. With him on one side, Salah on the other, and then pick and choose who you want down the middle. With a midfield, McAllister pushed on. That now that looks decent, but I, I do feel at the moment this is a good game for Newcastle at home with Liverpool not yet set for the season. Yeah, Scott, you and me both predicted big things for Darwin Nunez this year. Mm. Why, why isn't Jürgen playing him? Jürgen, what are you doing? You're ruining my fantasy team. You're ruining my preseason <laughs> prediction here. Like, what's going on? What I mean, what? Come on. There is a worry that he doesn't seem to trust him. Um, I've, I've heard that his lack of English is a problem, and he's been told to to you know really try and learn that better um, and integrate themselves more. But all I can say is what I've seen him for both Benfica as well as Liverpool is that he would be a defender's nightmare. He's big, he's strong, he's quick. He can create opportunities for himself, but he hasn't had his shooting boots on yet in Liverpool shirt. Now, I personally would have him on the down the middle, but coming in off the left at times, Diaz can come inside. But I think it's a worry that he's putting Jota in ahead of him, definitely. Yeah, I worry for my fantasy team. That's, and of course, that is the most important thing. Um, the rest of Sunday, Sheffield United against Manchester City. Things looking up for Sheffield United after a turbulent summer in the market. Cameron Archer set to join. Um, they've signed Gustavo Harmer. Uh, good enough to score goals in the Premier League. Well, Harmer's already showed that he can, but what about Cameron Archer? Do we think that he will be able to to score the goals that they obviously lost when they sold Illiman Njai to Marseille, Crook? I think he's a good player. Um, he proved that in the championship with Middlesbrough last season. Was used sparingly by England's under-21s in that European championship victory over the summer, but did still manage to get himself on the score sheet a couple of times. And there was a lot of interest in, uh, in Archer, as I understand it, not just from the Premier League, but from Europe and certainly every top club in the championship. But 
the, the issue is how much service is he going to get? I, I thought Sheffield United showed a little bit of heart and a bit of character in the second half against Forest last week, but they do lack in quality. I think he improves the squad, but I think it's, a, it's going to be a lot to ask for a player who's yet really to prove himself in the Premier League. £21 million they've paid for him. 17 goal contributions for Middlesbrough in 23 appearances uh, last season under Michael Carrick. Good luck to him. Uh, But I think it leaves Aston Villa a little bit light, doesn't it, in the forward department. Um, Ollie Watkins really the only out-and-out striker that they've got now, Crook. Yeah, which is a bit odd, really. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to bring someone in between now and the end of the window, but as we mentioned, number nines are a bit thin on the ground. But I think this is an illustration of, of Villa having back to Unai Emery and back Steven Gerrard quite handsomely as well, uh, balancing their own books. They've let Archer go, they've let Ramsey go. The fact they're both academy products means it's uh, it's 100% profit. So I think this is more an FFP decision than necessarily Unai Emery being desperate to move on Cameron Archer. Okay, so Burnley, they take on Villa next. Burnley, who've had a couple of behind closed doors games whilst they've been um, on a little mini break because they weren't allowed to uh, play last weekend because Luton Stadium wasn't ready for them. But they played Aberdeen last weekend. No one knows about this. This is a secret. And they won. And they played Manchester United. A lot of people have found out about this. And they (laughs) won. Uh, They beat Manchester United 3-0 in a behind closed doors friendly on Tuesday. And uh, obviously, that would cheer up the United fans, by the way. <laughs> that sent everybody into meltdown in Manchester. I was, I, I was in, uh, I was in the gym, and everyone was coming in saying, "You know, that United are playing Burnley tonight." I was like, "Yeah, it's behind closed doors. No one's supposed to know about it." Okay, right, fine. Next day, everyone was like, "They lost three 0 to Burnley." Don't panic. It's all right. Hannibal Medgebury played. All of the players, Johnny Evans played in that game. Everybody who, who's leaving that had to to play in that game. It's not wasn't the first team. Don't panic. Um, but Burnley have kept themselves sharp. I suppose is is the, is the key point here, the key takeaway, uh, Scott. Which means that they they might provide sort of stern opposition for for Villa when they play on uh, on Sunday. No, absolutely. I mean, first of all, how worrying is that? United really poor, and then the the team, the players that want to get into the first team, go and lose to Burnley three nil. Um, Don't mind it, but he's anyway. really bad mood already. What are you doing? Look at him. He hasn't smiled once on this podcast. He's been right grumpy git the whole time. Sat there, got his phone out when you were talking earlier because he obviously doesn't care what you've got to say, um, <laughs> and, and he's just sat there like in a mood for the whole time because Durham's had a go at him. We've tested his arguments. He's just not happy about it. He's so used to just be always being right. And, and you know what? He's sitting just below a light as if he's some kind of angel as well, isn't he? You know, <laughs> Which makes a right change because usually he's a devil. Exactly. Um, but no, back I'm to Burnley. Back to <laughs> I might log off now. <laughs> just cheer up. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> back to Burnley. Um, look, it was, it was always going to be difficult. And people were sort of saying, oh, you know, Manchester City, first game of the season, it's going to be, um, you know, very difficult for them. City told them exactly, you know, where they are in the pecking order, like, like they did with Newcastle, to be fair to them, in, in a different way. So that one's out the way. Luton, I think they'll be disappointed not to have played that game because I think that they would have been looking for three points there. But this is, again, another home game. You know, Villa played in Europe. We're very, I say in Europe, in Scotland. So it wasn't travelling. It wasn't too that bad. But, you know, they're coming off the back of a very good win, confidence. You know, Ollie Watkins got a hat-trick as well. I think it's going to be a tough game for Burnley. I really do. Um Again, it's not one of those games that will define whether Burnley stay up or not. We all think they'll be fine. But they do want to get points on the board early doors and not have a lack of confidence going into the, the, the September international window. What do we think of uh, Villa's performance in midweek in the Conference League playoff win over Hibs Crook? Um, but, you know, what, what do we? How do we hold stock by it? What do we measure that as? Well, it didn't say much for the Scottish League, did it? To be honest, because it was such a mismatch. Um, I, I think there were plans potentially that Talksport would. Um, have commentary of the second leg because we had a team at uh, Hibernian for the first game, but we decided actually they're not going to score six goals, so maybe we won't do that. Um, I think Villa win the Conference League. That's, that's my most confident prediction of the season. I, I, I can I can see now Unai Emery with his European record, with the strength of the Premier League as West Ham showed last season. I think he's nailed on that Villa win a European trophy this season. Okay, so Villa win the Conference League and finish in 
seventh behind Newcastle in six. Um, how how upset are you at that moment? <laughs> well, I'm 500 quid out of pocket, so I think Mrs. Crook would be more upset, to be honest. Than me. He got um, in, that, in that moment. Yeah, but, but yeah, the point you make about Ollie Watkins, I think, is a fair one. Um, he's so important and he's so improved under Unai Emery, that if he was to pick up an injury, then, uh, you know, I, I might be tempted to ask Jim if he's going to give me a cash out. Uh, cash out. You, don't cash, you only cash out if you're winning. You don't cash out if you're if you're behind the eight ball already. Um, okay, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy that. Uh, Crookie, I asked you to play golf with me on Saturday night. Firm answer on that, yes or no? Are we, are we, are we definitely uh, no? It, it's going to be a no, unfortunately, just for family commitments. And I'm playing really well at the moment. I've got my first ever eagle in midweek. You're wow. avoiding me. You're avoiding me. You're avoiding a rematch. No, you've saved my game. It was it was being embarrassed by you on a simulator that I took myself off. I didn't pick up a club for a month and uh, I completely refocused. And, and now I've actually found a bit of form. So thank Good. you. I'm pleased. Man United pleased. need that type of character, Sam, don't they? <laughs> they do. <laughs> Stop it. He's going to cry. Um, Chelsea Luton is live on TalkSport, 8 o'clock. Saturday, we've got Bournemouth against Tottenham, 12.30. Reshmin and I will be there with Stuart Pearce. Three o'clock, Manchester United against Nottingham Forest. Ian Danter and Dean Ashton behind the mic for that one. All the goals that go in as well from Arsenal, Fulham and Everton against Fulham. On Sunday, got a big Sunday session for you because there's three games to get our teeth into, including Sheffield United, Man City, Burnley against Villa and the big one, Newcastle against Liverpool. We will follow them all. Make sure you're with us on Talk Sport. Cheers for listening to Premier League All Access. Make sure you tell all your friends about it and download it every single Monday and The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson. And me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.